You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're anything like me, but, uh, and I don't think I'm like, you know, have attention deficit disorder. I, I can pay attention to people pretty, pretty well. But sometimes when you're getting instructions from people and they got this long list, I have a tendency to kind of tune out, all right? Um, and sometimes, I don't have any stories right now. I can probably think of some later, but sometimes to my own detriment. Uh, but we went um, canoeing over these last couple of weeks one day, went to Elkhorn Creek. I don't know, anybody been there? It's in Frankfurt. Neat little place. Yeah. So uh, we took a day or just a morning and rented some canoes there and uh, canoed down the creek. It's really beautiful. I don't know if, you've, if you haven't done it, I encourage you to do it. Right now, during this season, when it's kind of dry, it may not be the best time because the creek's kind of low. Uh, but I, you know, they always give you kind of instructions, and I literally cannot remember any of the instructions other than what he said at the end. He basically kind of said something like this. But here's one thing to remember. So usually when someone said, hey, here's one thing, I'm like tuning in, right? I mean, it's like, give me the big long list, but if you're summing up everything on one thing, then I'm paying attention. And he said, you know, if you fall in, keep your feet up, right? Because it's not going to be fun to try to grab your feet when you got rocks and your incident current. So like, I remember that. Like, you, you one thing, oh yeah, one thing, I got that. I'm, I'm with you. So anytime, personally, you may not be like this, where someone will just say, hey, but here's the one thing you need to remember. Or here's the one thing you need to know. Most of us, no matter what we've been doing previously, we'll stop and pay attention. And we see this a lot, even in uh, the scriptures, don't we? So I don't know if you remember that story uh, in Luke chapter 10, I think it is, and where uh, Mary and Martha and Jesus comes over to kind of have dinner with them. It's a story that still to this day kind of bothers me, right? So the Lord's still got a work to do in my own heart. It's like, I still read that story and go, ah, there still needs to be a little rebuke, I feel like. So maybe I just exposed more of what's going on with me. But you remember the story a little bit, you know, Martha's in there cooking the dinner, whatever, getting everything ready to go. And Jesus is teaching and with other disciples. And here's Mary, her sister, just sitting there listening. And Martha comes in just like any of us in this room would have done. So we're all the Marthas, amen. So in case you don't know that, you are and I am. We'd all come in there and say, Jesus, would you please tell my dang sister to get off her butt, right? And we probably wouldn't use that kind of language. Maybe we would because we're in the presence of Jesus, whatever. But, but it's basically like just what we want. Like tell her, get up and help me out. And then Jesus says these words that are disturbing, because what we want him to say is like, oh, yeah, yeah, Mary, what are you doing here? Get up in there and help your sister out. No, he just says to Martha, 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 come on. Reminds me of Brady Bunch. Martha, 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 right? Um, Martha, Martha, one thing, here it is, one thing is necessary. That's Jesus saying it. The creator, sustainer of all things is keeping you alive right now. One thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen to do that. And in the context there, you see it's the listening to the words of Jesus. And it's not the only thing, but there's one thing that's necessary. And even Paul, you know, he says the same thing. I hope you caught that in verse 13. One thing I do. It's not the only thing Paul does. Paul's a pretty busy guy, I would say, planting a lot of churches. Probably not very busy right now. He's writing this, this letter to the church in Philippi. He's kind of tied to a guard and 
quarantine, so to speak, right? But he kind of has a way of summing up all of, of his own life, even though there's a lot of things that Paul is doing. He says, but here's the one thing I do. So what's that for you? A lot of you, you may be a husband, you may be a dad, you, you have jobs, you have a, you know, an endless to-do list probably. Monday's probably pretty full for you. I mean, all of us have got a lot of things that we're doing, a lot of good things. It's not like it's bad, you know, these are things we got to do, right? You got you to change the diaper, right? If you don't, the butt gets raw, amen, right? There's all kinds of things we got to do. You with me? But if you could just say, here's, here's the one thing that I'm really about, what is that? Or better yet, if somebody watched your life, what would they say? This is the one thing that I do. This little, this verse here um, is, is in a context, obviously, like all verses are. And we're just looking at verses 12 uh, through 15. I, I think the 16 to 21 kind of help us better understand what's going on in some part, verses 12 through 15. But just for our time today, I'm just looking at these four, uh, three verses there. But the, this, this one thing is in a context here of where Paul, if you remember from last week, and if you weren't here last week, he kind of unpacks his past, like this is what I was, you know, but now here is who I am and this is what I want. I, I have a desire to, to know Christ, to, to know of the power of the resurrected life that is in Christ. I want to, which is just even kind of bizarre for us to think about with the Western mindset that we have. Paul says, I want to share in the suffering of Jesus and I, and I long for that future day where, where I have a fully resurrected body. That's what... Like Paul is very future-oriented. When he talks about a resurrected body, he's like, it's both spirit and physical. Like he longs to have the physical body that he's meant to have that Jesus is gonna give to him at the end, right? It's like all of us do. Like we long for our bodies, physical bodies, not to deteriorate, not to go through aging. And there's coming a day where we will get a perfect pure physical body, but at the same time too, there's a desire that his spirit would also be one, that his spirit, like his desires, his wants would be one with what Christ wants. That there's, a, there's a, uh, an integration that happens with body and spirit with Paul, like they're, they're whole. That's what he's after. He longs for that. He wants that. I want Jesus more than anything. And then sometimes when you can read Paul and you feel like he's a little bit superhuman, you know what I'm saying? It's like, dude, do you just put your pants on the same way I do, right? I mean, I don't know. When I read you, I'm like, you feel like really like above varsity level Christianity and I'm like still struggling with JV, amen? Uh, but, but I love this, this, this next verse because it, it makes Paul feel human again. And I need this. Maybe you do too, because I love what he says here. Verse 12, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, or another way you can translate mature. And then he repeats it again in verse 13. And, and when he says brothers and sisters, it's almost like if he's in person with them, he's grabbing them by the shoulders and saying, listen up, I want you to hear this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. And so what Paul is doing here is like, here's my desire. 
Like I want to be fully conformed to the image of the Son. Like I want what I know and what I do to not have a gap anymore, so to speak. You follow me? Because there's a lot that we know and, and that doesn't not necessarily always match up to what I do. And so Paul is going, here's my desire, but then when I look at my present reality, my, my, my now, I'm not there. I'm not where I want to be. I'm, that gap is still really visible to me. And I don't know, man, that's really reassuring to me, right? It, it really kind of gives me permission and hopefully gives you permission to say, look, man, we're, we're all a work in progress. No one's arrived. No one's where we want to be. We're all a work in progress. And I love what he kind of says here in verse 15 when he comes back and he says this, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. Well, what do you mean, think this way? And that word that he uses for mature is the same word that he used in verse 12 that's translated perfect. And so it's kind of like, it's like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You just said that I'm not mature yet, or I'm still working. But then you say, therefore, let all of us, including himself, who are mature. It's like, okay, are you mature or not mature? Like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, it's a play on words here. And all Paul's trying to do for all of us is to help redefine for us or reframe for us what maturity is. Maturity is not a rival. I think most of us in Western culture think maturity is knowledge. And we'll say it like this, man, that guy's really mature because he's so smart. He knows so much. And Paul will say, whoa, that's not maturity. Maturity is being able to look at your life and look at it and go, wow, man, there's still a gap. I am not where I wanna be. I've not arrived. That's how we are to think. That's the way, that's the frame of mind that we, to have, we are to have as a follower of Christ, is that yes, there are, there are a lot that I know and what I do, there's a gap. But notice here, Paul's not satisfied with that. Even in the language that this is written, it, it shows this um, kind of uh, undertone of dissatisfaction, like he's not content. I'm not content with the gap, right? Which is sometimes our danger, sometimes our danger, well, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm just human, right? And when we use that language, it's just an excuse to stay where we are. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna own my reality. Like I'm gonna look at my present now and say, yeah, man, I got a lot of growing to do. I, I'm still a work in process. I'm still a work in progress. And I'm not satisfied with that. There's a, there's a proper kind of quote unquote holy discontent that leads him to say what he said here in the second half of verse 13, which is where we get our, our word here. But one thing, look at that. What does he say? I do. So just a side note. Paul, nor anywhere in the New Testament, right? Grace does not go against our effort. Grace is always opposed to earning, right? And I would make the argument that the grace of God, or as Lee Fitzpatrick talks about, such a beautiful picture, this one-way love of God that comes to you, chases you down, seeks you out, it's absolutely undeserving, accepts you, lavishes love upon you through Jesus Christ, 
You don't earn it. You can't earn it. You don't do anything to do it. You don't deserve it. That's, that's the grace of God. It's always opposed to earning. But listen to me. Now, sometimes I think we get these things mixed up, but it never opposes your effort. In fact, I think it empowers your effort. And that's what Paul says. Look, one thing I what? Say it out loud. I know we got a mask on. We talk weird, but say it out. One thing I, I do. Well, what is that one thing, Paul? Well, look what he says here. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I, verse 14, pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Verse uh, 14 can also be translated in the NIV, and I kind of like that language a little bit better, where it says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So it sounds like to me, Paul just gave us a few things, not one thing, right? Are you struggling to count here? Because it feels like, all right, one thing, forgetting what's behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal. What's the one thing? Well, the one thing is the main verb. And the main verb is there in verse 14 that's, that's repeated. He said it in verse 12. It can be translated, press on, pursue. That's the main verb. That's Paul's one thing. I press on, I pursue, I chase after this um, being conformed into the image of the Son. Or just the simplest way to put it, I press on moving toward knowing Christ. That's, that's in essence what he's saying here. And this word that we, we translate pursue or press on is, a, is sort of a, a metaphor. So Paul is wanting us to kind of have a picture of a runner running a race. That's what he has in mind here. It's, uh, it refers to a, a sprinter running a race. It's the idea of, of, of running swiftly after something like a, like a runner pressing on to the finish line. And so to kind of give us a, a, as, as best of a mental picture of this, my, as you know, most of my boys run cross country or they, they did run cross country. And and my two oldest, I, I got pictures of them and, and a couple of their meets. And so I... I texted mom, Joseph, to make sure this was okay. So hopefully you're good with this. It's one of those things where I always want to like make sure my boys are good with me showing pictures or talking about them. And I usually talk about it the night before, but I forgot until we got here this morning. It's like, oh crap. And so I'm texting real fast to make sure it's okay. So, um, so the picture on the left is my oldest son. And this was a race about four years ago at Shelby County. And so it's the Shelby County Invitation they do in September. And it's right behind Shelby County High School. And it's in this big cornfield. Like it's, it's the worst place to do a race because if you're allergic to hay or anything, like it's just awful. But the other thing about this race is that the finish line is like the last 25, 50 meters is just completely uphill. And you can see it on his face, man. This is, this is the picture that Paul has in mind. It's like this, in, this intensity of running, arms, arms moving, man, pumping, you know, breathing heavy, your eyes setting. Now, I don't know. You can just tell by the guy on the left there. It's hard. Amen. Right? He looks pretty miserable. And this is Joseph. He's the one on the right. He's at the, the meet. It's in Lexington. And he's, he's actually coming around a corner where it's like 200 meters left to get the finish line. You can see him striding out. That's, that's the mental picture of what Paul is saying here when he says, I pursue, I press on. I'm running with this kind of intensity. And so he also says um, that word when, there in the, new, uh, the NIV says, I, I run 
uh, press on toward the goal to win the prize. And so sometimes we can, we can, we can think that, you know, Paul is, has a mind of beating someone else. It's like, you know, he's looking at Joe or George. Ah, I'm going to beat that jerk to the line. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not going, no, that's not, that's not what he is. It's not like this, um, this competition necessarily. It's more of the metaphor is like, I want you to see a runner that's running to win. And it's a different way of running, right? Just like what we saw earlier. Like they're, they're setting their, their eyes to win. So like I, you know, I, as most of you know, I run to, ex, I just run to exercise, to, to stay healthy. And so you will never see me if you come and watch, which that would be weird if you even came and watched me. It's like, yeah, good job. Wow, exercising today, you know. But, but you would never see me on that last, you know, stretch of my three-mile jog, just an all-out sprint. I'm not, like, I'm not trying to win a race. I'm not, I, it, I wouldn't do that even now ever. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just, I get to the finish line. I'm like slowing down. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, I'm done, right? Well, that's not what Paul has in mind here. It's, it's the manner in which you run. You're going to run to win. That's kind of the posture, so to speak that Paul has in mind. So think about this. One commentator says this, making progress toward this goal of full conformity to the image of Christ in the Christian life, listen to what he says, requires one to become a spiritual athlete according to Paul. I mean, how does that sit with you? Depending on your temperamental wiring, some of you are like, yes, right? Others of you are like, oh gosh, I don't know. But sit with me for just a second because I think this commentary is right on what Paul's trying to say here. Somewhere in our backgrounds, in our thinking, in our processing, I, I feel like there's a, there's a way in which we just think that um, the character of Christ just kind of oozes on us as we just kind of go through the motions and do our deal and show up on Sundays or whatever. Like we just, we just think we're going to float in to being people that are full of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. We just think it's just going to happen. We would never think about that in any other realm of life, would we? You just don't ooze in being a medical doctor. Hey, you know, I went to high school, went to college. I'm getting ready to operate on you. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, can I get a little smile of laughter? Like, we would never think of that. You, you wouldn't, I mean, some people do this and it's just stupid, but you wouldn't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to run a marathon today. I'm just going to go for it. Well, some people have done that and they, like, they pay for it for like a month. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we never think of that in any other realm of life, but for some reason, when it comes to our life in Christ and with Christ, we just make this assumption that the grace of God is just gonna kind of like ooze all this character that we long to have, right? I mean, what do you want in life? What I, what I want is I want to have a, a poise about me, a, a peace and a calmness about me during times like we're in right now. 
And I'm, I'm not there. I'm not. But that's what I want. I want to be able to, to trust God, even in the midst of great uncertainty, and that it, that it sort of comes second nature, that I don't even necessarily have to think about it, that it's just like, this is what makes sense to do. Like, I want there to be a joy that's not rooted primarily in my circumstances. I want to have self-control. I want patience. And I want this to be, like I said, just so a part of my DNA that it's in me. And I don't have to think. It just comes out. If I want that, I'm pretty foolish to think that that's just going to happen floating down a lazy river. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. It empowers our work. I mean, listen to how Dallas Willard said it in his little book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. He said, we are saved by grace. Of course, man, of course. And that's what we speak on all the time here. And by it alone, amen. And not because we deserve it. None of us do. This is the basis of God's acceptance of us. And thank God for that. And we need to be reminded of that often. We're not accepted in God through our, how great of a week I had this week. It doesn't matter. I'm his child. But... The big but, right? Grace does not mean that sufficient strength and insight will be automatically infused in our being in the moment of need. Are you following what he's saying there? Grace does not mean that sufficient strength and insight will be automatically infused in our being in the moment of need. When's the moment of need? Well, here's the moment of need is when you're dragging your three-year-old out of Walmart doing a tent, you know, temper tantrum, screaming their head off, and you're going, man, you're doing the walk of shame. And what do you want as a parent in that moment? You want to be able to respond with patience and understanding that, yeah, they shouldn't be throwing a temper tantrum over candy, but they're three, Right? Well, this is what Dallas Willard is saying. It's like, that doesn't happen unless there's been work. It won't come. You'll reactively respond what you've been putting in your life. You'll get angry. You'll get bitter. You'll lash out at them. In moment of need, man, what do we got going on right now where we got like multiple crises going on in our nation, Right? And so what, man, I love you, stay with me, but what you see coming out right now is what you've been sowing for years. So if you find yourself highly anxious or just like your anger, man, somebody cuts you off, boom, man, you are just at 100. Right? Did you follow me? Well, you're, you're reaping what you've sown for months and years. If you want calmness, peace, and poise to come out of your body right now, your physical body, during crazy times like this, then what have you been doing for 10 years? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, man, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to run. I want to be conformed to the image of the Son. I want to be more like Him. And so I'm, I'm running, man. I'm leaning in. I'm, I'm chasing after. And so then, what he does here in the first half of verse 14, even though it kind of feels like there's more things that he's doing, it's actually explaining how he's running. Those are what they call participles. That's why they got ing in the in the in our translation. They're, they're two little participles that are explaining and kind of uh, expounding more on that main verb of like running, pressing on, and pursuing. And so it's not a full list, right? It's not. It's just in context here. So how how does Paul say, man? I, I want you to run to win. I want you to run in a manner. Well, I just showed you there, leaning in, focused on. Like then then what are some of the things I need to keep in mind as I'm doing this? Or what are, what are some of the hows here? We give us two, and the two are forgetting what's behind and reaching forward, or some translations say straining forward to what is ahead. So look what he says here, first of all, forgetting what is behind. And so we, we know this, right? We, we're not very smart, intelligent people, right? Runners don't wear a backpack when they're running a race. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, some people, you know, if they're trying to train or whatever, they'll put on a 10-pound backpack so they can, but you don't do that with a race. It's like, no, man, you, runners wear as little clothing as they possibly can, which is a little strange in and of itself, especially during cold seasons. Like, dude, put some clothes on. But they do that because they want to be able to run without any kind of like entanglement or whatever. They want to run to win. And so Paul is also helping us see, look, if we're going to run this race, We've got to let go of what is behind us. And so what does Paul need to leave behind him? What does that mean, Lyle? Well, think real quickly here. Within the context here, it's his past pedigree. Because he used to put his trust and find his identity and his worth and, and being a Pharisee among Pharisees and a Hebrew among Hebrews. Just basically saying, I mean, I used to follow the law and I was killing it. Man, I was awesome. So I... Like, I've got to leave that behind because my identity and worth is no longer in that stuff. And he actually called it poop, right? Remember that dung? It was like, this is a pile of crap in my life. But now I'm going to find my identity and value and worth in Jesus. I've got to forget, let that go. Other things that I think Paul needs to, that he's probably continuing putting in his past and leaving behind is his own sin. I don't know about you guys, but there's, there are seasons in life when um, past sin will come up to me. It's like, why is, why is this getting in my head? And it has a way of like paralyzing us in our present, right? I mean, can you just imagine a little bit of the past sin of Paul? I mean, I'm using my imagination here a little bit, but he was a human being just like I am and you are. And so Paul's past was he murdered people. He drug people out of their homes and he killed them because they were Christians. He was a terrorist. And maybe God saved him from this. Maybe, I, we don't know. But we can probably guess that there have been many nights when Paul woke up with some of those faces in his mind, screaming, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And that kind of past can paralyze you in the present and keep you from running. And Paul is going, man, I got to leave that behind. And the way that it's written here, guys, it's not a one-time thing. It's not. Paul's, 
not naive to think that this is an easy thing to do, like, you know, taking a file from your desktop and dragging it over to the trash can and boop, I said yes to Jesus and everything's behind me is gone. <laughs> no, right? Paul says it. No, it's a continuous daily, it's written in the perfect tense. It means every day I'm battling this. And so for some of us in here, listen to me, listen. Some of us maybe need to go back in order to go forward. We don't go back to stay there, but we go back in order for us to go forward. So follow me. Some of us are very naive in thinking that my mom and dad splitting up when I'm 13 years old does not have an effect on me as an adult. It does. And abuse that happened to you when you're young, we're naively thinking if, if we don't think it has any kind of effect on me when I'm 50 years old. It, it does. That's not what Paul's saying here. Now, sometimes we might have to go back in the context of a good Christian therapist within a community like this and deal with some things in the past and bring the healing presence of Jesus so that we can move forward, guys. That's the work that God is inviting you into. Yeah, it's really hard and really painful. But I know enough 50, 60-year-olds that are struggling in the present because they're unwilling to go back and deal with some stuff in the past that needs some healing. And Paul says, man, if we're going to run this race to win, we've got to leave behind, right? We've got to leave this behind. And sometimes it might take the help of some other people to help you do that so we can continue to move forward. The second one, well, before I get to the second one, let me just ask you a couple questions here real quick here, or maybe just one. Um, yeah, what do you feel like's in your past right now that you need to let go of? Or maybe um, a better question, what is in your past that you need to have a conversation with somebody about? Sometimes it's like you can't do this in isolation, right? So anytime I, you know, if there, if there is some kind of sin that's debilitating me, that's coming from the past into the present, I'm going to have a conversation with somebody. It's like, help me, help me work through this. Help me, like, we're not created to keep all this in isolation, even though Western people think we can do it on our own. We cannot, we're not, we're relational people. So maybe, not only is it identifying what you need to let go of, but share that with someone that's a trusted friend and you have a good relationship with. Are you following me? Secondly, straining toward what is ahead. This is the only time in the New Testament that this word straining is used, only time. And, and, and the, what it means is like a relentless pursuit by a predator. And so I, I use this in the first service. We've got a, a cat named Luna. Um, I don't love cats. They're kind of annoying, but it's okay. Conlon wanted it for Christmas one year. And so as a good parent, you just do those kind of stupid stuff. Amen. Um, but she'll come outside every once in a while. And whenever she sees a bird, it's like instinctive. It's amazing. Actually, it's like, and it's just steel. You know what I'm saying? You cannot distract it. Like it is locked on, right? There's dinner <laughs> or lunch, whatever. That's kind of the, 
the picture that Paul is, is giving us here when he talks about straining ahead. Yet yeah, it, it carries the same little idea of, of pressing on in the sense of pursuing and chasing. But I think the emphasis with this word is more focus. That I'm not going to be distracted. That I'm going to stay. I keep thinking of that that commercial with the tattoo, stay in your lane, bro. So it's, it's, it's something, okay, man, you guys got to laugh a little louder somehow. You got to help me here. Um, it's sort of like that, all right? It's, it's a, an intentional focus, like a, like a predator after its prey. Uh, it reminds me, like, just as far as like the distractions, it reminds me of that story where, which I wouldn't want Jesus to do this for me, but Jesus pr- tells Peter how he's going to die. I don't know if you guys remember that story or not. He says, hey, this is how you're going to die. And And Peter hears what he says, and he does exactly what I would do. He steps back and goes, well, what about John? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? How's he going to die? You know, why are you, what about, and then Jesus doesn't even answer his question. He just basically says, hey, don't worry about John. That's not your job. You go after what I've called you to do. Yeah, I have a tendency to, especially with social media, with a touch of the button, you can find out what all your friends are doing right now and have a tendency to get distracted from them and say, why do they have a better life? Why do they got that? Why don't I have this? You know, I, it seems like their prayers are always answered. Oh, gosh, man, you know what I'm saying? And, and Paul's going, no, no, man, run your race. God's called you. Stay focused on the finish line. Keep your eyes forward. I think another big, huge distraction in our day and age is phones, man, it's, gosh, it's just a reality that we deal with. One study I found this week says an average person looks at their phone 80 times a day. It's kind of convicting. It's like, sorry to count one, (laughs) but really, and I know there's not a one-to-one correlation here, and I don't say this to feel like you need to do this, but it does make me think, what if, what if those who are followers of Jesus Christ looked at the words of Jesus 80 times a day? I don't know. I think we would be really different. So what are the distractions in your life that's keeping you from running, pursuing to win? One thing, that's it. That's what I'm after. In the process of doing this, I'm working to, to let go of things in the past, and I'm, I'm keeping my eyes focused on the goal, the prize, not getting distracted with whoever's running beside me, right? No, he's called me to do this. I'm going to run in my lane. So Paul makes it really clear. Here's maturity. Here's, or, or here you go. I like this word better. Here's maturing. This is the idea that Paul has here. Here's what maturing looks like. There's gaps. You recognize that. You see that. And I'm still a work in progress. And then at the same time, you're pressing on. So I'm growing. I'm pursuing after him. Here's my one thing. So this morning, as we we close here, I just want to, I don't know. Depending on how you hear this, I think there's... uh, one of three ways. How about that? One, I think some of us can hear this and you have a, 
And this is a gift from God. Listen to me, this is not bad. Some of you have a really sensitive conscience, really sensitive. And you hear a message like this from Paul and you just go, oh my gosh, man, I'm just, I'm never measuring up. I'm just, I'm, I just never can. Here's Lau reminding me again of all my failures and I'm not pursuing hard enough. And, and in reality, if someone would look at your life, they would go, dude, you are pursuing rest. It's just, your interior world is just kind of a little jacked up, right? You need someone else looking on the outside saying, man, yes. And so for some of you, you hear this and you feel, oh, this weight. I just want to encourage, you know what? Maybe you need to take a season where you focus on the already's. You ever done that? Where I'm going to focus on who I am already in Christ, right? That that's what I need to do, that I'm perfect, that I'm holy, that I'm righteous, that I'm loved, that I'm accepted. I need to take a season to focus on the already's. The not yet will get there, right? And so some of you need to do that. That's how you need to receive this message. Others of you, the reality is, is you are coasting. You just think grace is like blow up an inner tube and float down the river and it's just going to happen. And then you wake up 10 years from now and you're going, why am I so angry? Why can't I control my temper? Why can't I have calmness in the midst of uncertainty? Why do I struggle with, I mean, you follow me? Some of it's because you've just coasted. And hear Jesus through Paul coming to you, not in some indicting, condemning way because you're his child, but coming to you in a loving way and inviting you, look, I want more for you than just having a right relationship. I do want to change you, and you want to be changed. I want to give you what it is that your heart desires, and you want to be more and more like Jesus. And lastly, others of us are here, and maybe we just say, I don't have any desire for that. Wow. Like what Paul just described there, this one thing is, is I don't want it. And here's all I'd say to that is this, is I'm not here to create a desire for that because I can't do that. Only God can do that. But I do think there's an invitation even for you to sit back and think and reflect. Then what is that one thing for you? Because all of us have it. We're leaning in on something. We got our eyes focused on something. What is that? And where is it taking you? And if you don't know, then find someone 10, 15, 20 years ahead of you and ask them. This is what I'm after. Where do you think it's going to take me? Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.